times of year, and I know it's Christmas. Uh, I know you have your traditions. I know it's Christmas when my mom gives me her fruitcake, right? Like some of you've already turning your nose up because you don't like fruitcake, but I'm just gonna tell you, I love fruitcake. I love my mom's fruitcake, and if you've never had it, you're missing out, all right? I mean, it's a great time of year, you know? Uh, Crystal doesn't know it yet, my wife, but we got M&M cookies coming next week. I'm gonna have her in the kitchen making those. I'm just kidding, <laughs> not really. Um, but I love Christmas. I love the music of Christmas. Uh, I listen to weird music at Christmas time. I got Kenny Rogers Christmas on the playlist, and the staff has been making fun of me because they've been hearing that in the office. And, uh, and man, just everything about Christmas. I love the decorating that we get to do at Christmas. But the thing, and this sounds real Sunday school, but I want you to stay with me this morning. The thing that I love most about Christmas is remembering the hope that entered into our darkness. Amen? That's what it's all about. It's about that moment. And I can't think of a better name for a series than a thrill of hope. You know, it comes from the song, Oh Holy Night. And I love that line in that song. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You know, when we look outside of these walls, it is easy to see how weary our world really is. To see how much darkness and despair there is in that world that we live in. But before we kind of talk about the people out there, maybe you're in this room this morning and maybe, maybe you're weary. Maybe there's a weary man in the room this morning. Maybe there's a weary woman in the room this morning. Maybe there's a weary student in the room this morning. And God wants to do something in this place this morning for you. God wants to do something in this place. And so this morning, as we start off this series, I'm just going to tell you, this is a weird morning. If you come every week, um, I'm just going to tell you, it's a different kind of morning. You know, you probably have your hand out there and you're wondering, where are the blanks? Where's my fill in the blank, Jonathan? And I'll just be honest, that's kind of my bread and butter too. But I, I just, ever since a couple weeks ago when God started putting this message into my heart, man, I knew that we weren't gonna have an outline with blanks. And you've got some notes there that you're more than welcome to take some, piece, uh, some lines there. You can take some notes. But I just want us this morning to just kind of really focus in. There's not gonna be a lot of uh, points on the screen or anything like that. Just a really small passage of scripture this morning that I want us to look at, but I really just want us to be real this morning. And you know, we sang this just a few minutes ago, awake my soul. And that's what I'm praying for you this morning. That's what I'm praying for me this morning, that God would awaken our souls to things in our past that are, to be honest, difficult to talk about. Things that honestly, in our past that are sensitive issues. And so this morning, I, I don't want you having to worry about filling in a blank. I really want your heart to be open to what God wants to do in this place this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity we have. God, you are a good father. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the thrill of hope, God, we thank you that because of you, Lord, we can have hope, not just for our eternity, but for today. And so, Lord, help us to open our hearts 
to talk about things that might be sensitive, things that are in our past that might be difficult. Jesus, help us to open our hearts and hear what you want to say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. No matter what your past looks like, there is this thing, this common theme within every single person in this room. Every kid in this room, every student in this room, every man in this room, every woman in this room, every senior adult in this room. There's this common theme that is ingrained within us. And it's this theme, it's this idea that we desire our Father's attention, acceptance, approval, and participation. This is ingrained within us. We desire this. Every single person in this room desires this. And you can see this in children. You can see this in, in little kids. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but it, maybe you're, this is your first time, but I actually have four children. I have an 11, almost 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and they're all boys, so that's fun. Um, but, but I'm going to just tell you, I see this playing out with my kids. We went to a 5K yesterday, and we were running that race, and I'm, I'm terrible at it, but I try, and I do that because my kids like it, and, and I, I kind of finished a little ahead of my oldest son, which is still good. Um, but I finished just a little ahead of him, and I remember seeing him coming down that final stretch, and he saw me. He caught my eye and I said, go, Will, you got it, man. And man, you could just see it, man. You could see it inside of him. He just picked up, man. He picked up and started running harder. Why? Because, man, he desires attention. He desires approval from his father. I go home. I go home from work and literally the minute I step in the door, there is a common phrase that's said multiple different ways. And it really boils down to this. Dad, watch. Dad, look. Dad, check this out. Hey, Dad, watch me. Watch me, Dad. Hey, Dad, are you watching me? Dad, watch me. Hey, Dad, check this out. Hey, Dad, did you know? Dad, listen to this. Dad, check this out. Dad, watch. I mean, there's literally seldom a small amount of time when I'm coming in the door to greet my wife and give her a kiss that's not interrupted with, Dad, watch. And the truth is, there's always that response, right? So every dad in the room understands this, that with that statement comes, with that imperative comes a response, right? That's cool, buddy. Great job, man. Man, that was cool. How'd you do that? Man, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. And it's literally, there's times where, and some of you dads know what I'm talking about, there's times it's so automatic that we actually don't even see what they did, right? It's just automatic. But literally, from the moment the car gets into the driveway till the moment my kids are tucked into bed, and sometimes even after that, it's dad, watch. This fight between the four of them to get my attention. And, and it's not a knock on moms, man. God's created moms in such a way that, man, there is such blessing that flows from a mother. But God's also designed this thing within us that we have within us, even as small children, even as students, even as adults. We want to know, did our dad see it? Did he like it? And is he pleased with me? And man, when you have that, 
When you have a father like that, some of you have had and have right now amazing, empowering dads. Like you've got dads that have encouraged you. My dad's like this. Dads that have encouraged you, have inspired you. They tell you they love you when you deserve it. And they tell you they love you when you really don't deserve it, right? I mean, I can tell you now, my dad has never told me I've done a bad job on stage. And I know I've done a bad job sometimes. But literally at the end of today, at the end of any time I speak, it's always great job, son. Proud of you, man. Man, some of you have dads like that. And man, if you do, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm giving you permission right now. This is kind of a weird thing to give permission, but I'm giving you permission. If you have a dad like that, I, I just wanna encourage you. Right now, you can just text him. I'm okay with that. You can pull out your phone and start texting and you can say to him, hey dad, I know I just saw you at Thanksgiving. I know Christmas is a few weeks away and I know this is just some random Sunday, but I just wanna tell you out of the blue how much I appreciate you. And the reason for that is because that is a rare blessing to have a father like that. Because many of us, if we're, if we're honest, Many of us have felt a sense of loss when it comes to our dad. Many, many people in this room, you've lost your father to death. And maybe he was a great guy or maybe he was an awful guy. But for whatever reason, he's no longer here. And you're sitting in this room and you're struggling with that. You're struggling with the fact that dad's no longer here. If he was a great father, you're struggling with that. If he was an awful father, some people, some psychologists say you might be struggling more. But some of you have lost your father to death. Some of you have lost your father to disability. That, that maybe he's still, still here on the planet, but he's not here. Because some kind of disability, some kind of medical thing has, has kind of made your dad the shell of a man that he used to be. And you're struggling through that. You're the caretaker of that kind of father. Some of you lost your dad years ago, or maybe recently, to divorce. That there came a point in your life where dad left the home. And I'm not trying to, to, to put a light on that if that's your story. And I'm not trying to, to make you suffer if you're going through that currently because that's just an awful thing to have to deal with no matter what side you're on. But man, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you remember that day. Maybe you're an adult and you remember that day where mom and dad split up. And right now in America, there's every one in four children in America right now live in a home without their father. One in four. And it's a real deal. And, and not just the one in four, but what about the three in four that are living in the home? Some of those situations aren't great either. In fact, some of you know what I'm talking about because you didn't lose your dad to divorce or death or disability. You lost your dad to disinterest. He just never really cared what was going on in your life. He never really got it. He never really wanted to know what was in your life and what you were doing. And man, everything seemed more important to him than you. And I'm not just talking to students right now or, or young people. I'm talking to senior adults that remember that. Maybe you lost your dad to dysfunction. Maybe he showed you interest, but the interest he showed you was when something was wrong or awry in your life. And man, the only time he was ever interested in what you had to say or what you were doing is when he was coming down on you, coming down hard on you. 
And maybe that's the only kind of attention you ever got from your dad was negative attention. Some of you, that dysfunction's far greater than even that. For some of you, it's abuse, it's physical, it's emotional, it's verbal abuse. But here's the thing. There's many in this room that in some various form, maybe you've lost your dad to one of those things. To one of those things. And Christmas for many of us, man, that just intensifies that feeling. That sure, we like Christmas, but honestly, it just kind of puts a spotlight on that awry relationship. That even if you had a good dad, and maybe he's passed on, maybe this is the first Christmas without your dad. And you're feeling the loss. You've joined the ranks of the fatherless. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're, your dad's still alive and maybe you know that at Christmas you've got to go visit. You've got to go back into the very home that there was so much dysfunction. And Christmas just intensifies this feeling of loss. You see, I believe that we live in a fatherless generation. We are living this out in our culture. And a lot of who we are as people, a lot of our insecurities, a lot of our fear of failure, our relational conflict, a lot of our dysfunction with our own kids, a lot of our anger, a lot of emotional instability stems from this one thing. Does my father love me, approve of me, accept me, And does he even care? And this is the part that's so difficult for us as the church because we have been invited by Jesus into a relationship with a God who wants to be known as Father. In fact, 189 times in just the Gospels alone, he refers to God as Father. And for some of us, we can't get our minds around that. Like, how do you reconcile that in your mind? How do you start to understand God as father when your father might have been an awful guy? I mean, how do we get around that? I remember as a student pastor, it was one of the saddest days of my life in ministry as a student pastor. I was doing a series kind of about baggage and about our past, and I was talking to a young lady at the end of the night, and she was talking to me about the abuse that she had experienced from her, her father. Serious abuse, abuse that literally took her to court with her dad. And I remember her saying this to me. She was saying, Jonathan, if God the father is anything like my dad, I don't want anything to do with him. Because she couldn't get her mind around this idea of how do we start to understand that kind of God? Some people don't understand what that means. Some people don't understand what it means to have a loving father because they never had one. And so how do we understand that? I believe our understanding starts in the Christmas story. That I believe that Christmas is not just about a baby. It's also about a father. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the very first page of the New Testament. Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter one. If you have your Bibles, if you wanna look at it there on your phone, that's perfectly great too. But Matthew chapter one, I want you to turn there with me. And here's what's interesting about most Christmas stories. And this is true for you. This is probably true for, for, this is true for me. It's probably true for you. But Matthew one is right here. 
right here in my Bible and it's right there in yours. And here's the thing, most of us would expect that Christmas is gonna start somewhere here or in Luke telling the Christmas story. But I want us to do something a little weird this morning. I want us to take our Bibles and I want us to flip back just one page. And for some of you, it might be two pages, but I want you to flip back just a page or two into the Old Testament, right there at the very end of the Old Testament. You know what's odd about that? That this little piece of paper in my Bible, just this one little piece of paper, represents 400 years of silence, that the Old Testament is filled with incredible stories, incredible uh, prophecies that came out of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden you get to Malachi and then there's literally this little piece of paper here that represents 400 years of no prophetic word. Silence from God. And right here in the silence, right before the silence hits, you have this little book called Malachi. You have this prophet named Malachi. And he's, he's really nothing special, nothing more than any of the other prophets that had come. Isaiah had come. Elijah had come. Elijah was a big deal. And Malachi is sitting right here in the text. And if you would, read with me in Malachi 4, starting with verse 4. Look at what Malachi is saying. This is the last words of the Old Testament. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now, this is kind of how you would expect the book to end, right? How you would really expect the Old Testament to end. He's saying, hey, remember who you are as a people. Remember what God did. Remember what God created, this list, this, this, this uh, hedge of thorns to protect you, the law. Remember that, okay? But then he's not just saying, hey, remember. He's saying also look to the future because I'm gonna tell you something really cool. And this is a prophecy from Malachi. Look at verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, here's the weird part about this passage. Elijah has already come. He was one of the greatest prophets of his day, and he has already come. He has already been, went back to heaven. And so there is a little trying to understand what it is this passage is saying. Now, Elijah was one of these guys that was a great a prophet. And what Malachi is doing here is Malachi is prophesying something that's going to happen 400 years into the future. In fact, he's prophesying basically the next page of your Bible, which is pretty cool when you think about it. But just like most prophecies, this prophecy, I believe, has a double meaning. Okay, And a lot of prophecies, if you look through Scripture, you see this happening a lot. That There's this immediate context something that's gonna happen in the near future. And then there's this bigger picture context. And Jesus does this a lot in the Bible. He talks about something and, and what he talks about a lot of times is, hey, there's a destruction of Jerusalem and then there's a future prophecy of something that's happening in the future as well. And I believe Malachi's doing that here. So what's the immediate context of this verse? Well, the immediate context, the Elijah that he's talking about here is John the Baptist. And you're like, well, where's that in Malachi 4? It's not. But you know where it is? It's in Luke. It's in Luke 1, 17. And you don't have to turn there. You can write it down if you want to. But in Luke 1, 17, Jesus confirms that it's John the Baptist that's the immediate context of this passage. In fact, Jesus quotes Malachi 4. 
He quotes it and he says, hey, John the Baptist is that guy. In Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus reiterates that. He says, hey, John is the Elijah who is to come. So the immediate context of this passage is definitely John the Baptist. But I believe there's a big picture context as well, big picture meaning as well. You know, about a week ago, uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving, many of you have this tradition. We, we don't really have this tradition, but many of you have this tradition of watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, how many of you watch that? Anybody in this room watch that? Yeah, a few hands. That's awesome. Uh, there's 50 million people that tune in on TV to watch that parade. And 3.5 million show up in New York City that day to see that parade. And there's always, at every parade, there's always what's called a grand marshal. And the grand marshal is the guy that kicks off the parade. He's the guy that starts the ball rolling for the parade. He's typically at the very front of the line. And the grand marshal this last year was Jim Nance, the sportscaster. But to be honest with you, I don't even know who last year's grand marshal was. And I had to look up this year's grand marshal. Because really the grand marshal's not really the, the most important part of the parade. And really at the Macy's parade, it's the same way. Because everybody knows the center attraction at the Macy's parade comes towards the very end. It's always Santa. Santa's like the main attraction for the Macy's parade. It's never the Grand Marshal, it's Santa. In fact, the Grand Marshal doesn't really have that big of a deal. He really is more of the guy that points you to the main event. He points you to something greater and grander than him. And here's what this passage is telling us, that John the Baptist, really, he acts as a Grand Marshal introducing someone far more significant and greater than him. And this is what you see, that John heralds the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which makes the last words of this Old Testament so powerful. Because with John and with Jesus come verse six. Look at verse six. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What John is bringing with him through Jesus Christ's coming is a restoration in the relationship between father and child, that the birth of a baby signals the rebirth and restoration of the father and child relationship. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, right. Because Jesus has come, he came 2,000 years ago, and guess what, Jonathan? My relationship with my father is awful. And so you're sitting here and you're hearing this and you're thinking, how in the world is that true? And for some of you, you're not really even paying attention anymore because you've tuned out this because here's where you're at. You know how bad your father's hurt you. And maybe he's been gone for a long time, but you've kind of tuned this out because you're thinking, I know the status of my relationship with my father and I'm just gonna stuff that under the rug because it's not worth trying to fix. I've been hurt too many times. I've been hurt too much thinking about this. I'm just sticking that under the rug. But you can't shove under the rug what God has ingrained in us. This desire for acceptance, approval, and affection from our Father. 
Peggy Drexler, she's a psychologist. She actually did a study on 75 high-achieving, independent businesswomen. These women had families, great situations at home, but he did a study on 75, she did a study on 75 high-achieving, independent businesswomen, and she was surprised by her results. Listen to her results. That no matter how successful these women, their careers, how happy their marriages, or how fulfilling their lives, women told me that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove the filter and much to their surprise, failed. We know that fathers play a role, a key role in the development and choices of their children. But even for women whose fathers had been neglectful or abusive, she found a hunger for approval. They wanted a warm relationship with men who did not deserve any relationship at all. You see, here's the thing. You can't sweep this under the rug. You can't stuff it. And for some of you, man, you have been faking it. For years, you've been faking it. He's like, hey, he doesn't matter to me. He was never in my life. I don't really care. That's not a big deal. He's been gone for many years. I don't even think about him anymore. But man, there is something within us that God desires to awaken this picture of what true fatherhood looks like. And so when we look at this verse, I don't want you to think that it means that Jesus has come to necessarily band-aid up the past and pain of earthly fatherhood. That's not what this passage is talking about. In fact, Jesus says in another place, Matthew 10, 35, he says some very interesting words. He says, I have come to set a man against his father. Now, this is interesting. How do you reconcile these two passages? That he's saying, hey, sometimes the gospel actually divides families. And we see this. We see this overseas. We see this with Muslims, people that are getting separated from their families because they choose to follow Christ. So he's not really necessarily talking about the earthly relationship. For some of you, there is no way that the earthly relationship here on earth is gonna get fixed, either because he's passed away or because he's just not in the picture. He's not talking about that. What Christmas came to ultimately restore is not necessarily the past and pain of earthly fatherhood. Christmas came to restore the picture and the power of heavenly fatherhood. That's what Christmas came to restore. That no matter what kind of dad you had, whether he was a great dad or whether he was an absolutely awful dad, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of your earthly father. He is everything you have ever wanted in a dad. He's not a bigger version of your dad. He's the perfected version of your dad. He's everything you wish your dad could have been. And that is life-changing for people who have fathers that are not in the picture or for people who have fathers that are downright awful. Because here's the thing, for some of us, we can't get a frame of reference to understanding a good father. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine something. Imagine if your dad had never left. Imagine if your dad had never left. Imagine if your dad had sobered up. Imagine if your dad had showed up to your birthday. 
Imagine if your dad had showed up to your child's birth. Imagine if dad had sat at the end of your bed and asked you how things were going. Imagine if your father had shown up in all of those meaningful and important relationships or moments in your life. Imagine if he had done that. That is what your heavenly father is and more. He is beyond any great thing you can imagine about a dad. And man, if you can hold on to that imagination of imagining how good it could have been, that's who the father is and even more than that. This is the God that we serve. And Christmas came to remind us of that. And this is a kind of an interesting switch, but while the earthly story of fatherhood, while in the earthly story of fatherhood, we may have a villain for a dad, we may have that. In the heavenly story of fatherhood, in our relationship to God the Father, we're actually the villains. If you can think for just a minute, as bad as your father may have treated you, the truth is when it comes to the story of God, when it comes to the story of heavenly fatherhood, in that story, we're actually the villains. We're the ones that need rescue and we're the ones that have been far from God. And he has come, Jesus has came to bring us back to a perfect, loving father who is waiting with open arms to receive us. A story of fatherhood that looks more like this. To Amanda. My beautiful daughter. Last week at church, Reverend Alberts was preaching about coming home for Christmas. He was talking about how God is always ready to give us a second chance. And he read that same story that I used to read you when you were younger, a story about a son who gets angry with his father, runs away, loses everything that he once loved, but then eventually the boy realizes what he's lost, and he decides to go home. He's ashamed of what he's done. And when he arrives home, the father is there. The father is waiting for him. But before the boy can even get to the house, the father runs to him and embraces him, and he welcomes him back home child gets a second chance. The way it's written, it seems like, like he, even if the son never came home, the father would still have been waiting. That's how much he loved his child. I've been thinking a lot about this story lately. 
I don't know everything that's been going on these last few years. I know that you've been let down by others. I know that working three jobs was exhausting. I know that being a single mother was a huge responsibility. You may have felt like you were doing the best thing for Will when you left. Or maybe you didn't, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know. A lot of pain and hurt and pressure that you're feeling. I don't claim to understand it all, but I do know that I miss my daughter. And so does your little one. And so does your mother. I'd like to think that that, that story from the Bible, that's us. Me and you. On the day you come home, I'll be there. I'll run out to you and I'll hug you and I'll throw the biggest party that you've ever seen. I would be endlessly happy for you to be home. But I'm afraid it might not happen that way. The cancer is spreading in my lungs and each day has become more and more difficult to endure. Part of why I'm writing this letter is just to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I might be gone before you return. But I still hope you do, with or without me. It may not be easy. You may feel like you don't belong anymore. We don't always get the chance to fix all the things that get broken in life. There's a whole world of I'm sorry's that may never get spoken. We may not get to say all the goodbyes. And if I don't get to see you or smile again, if I don't get another chance to tell you you're beautiful, if I don't get to be there for Christmas dinner or to wrap the presents with the kids, if I'm not there, then I just want you to know one thing. The story is still true. You'll always be welcome home. Some people will give you a second chance. Some might not. But I know Reverend Alberts was right. God will always give you a second chance. He will always be there, ready for you, waiting for you. And I'll do the same as long as I can. And if not, then I hope you get this letter. Know that I adore you. With love, Dad. First John 3, 1, behold, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are.
This is the picture of God the Father, a God who has never stopped pursuing you. You see, the Christmas story of Jesus is not just about getting you to heaven. It's really about giving you to a, getting you to a heavenly Father. And for some of us, we got the heaven part down. We understand, okay, I'm a believer. I have a hope in eternity. But man, we are still mired down in the dysfunction of our family and in the dysfunction of our past. And man, God today, he wants to set us free from that, that the Christmas story echoes out that you don't have to live in the collateral damage of your father. You don't have to live in that, that Jesus has come, God with us, Emmanuel has come and he is coming today to you and he wants to restore you. He wants to restore that picture of perfect fatherhood. Guys, think about it. He sent his son Jesus to die for us and ultimately on that cross be neglected, neglected and be forsaken by his father so that we would never be forsaken by our heavenly father. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask you in this moment just to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Hebrews 13, five says that those that put their faith in Christ, he promises that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And maybe today you are feeling the sting of neglect, the scar of abandonment and the gash of indifference from your father. Man, Jesus has come to set you free. Isaiah 53, five says that Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. That the power of his pain is what brings the healing into ours. Whether you're a student living in a home without dad or an 80-year-old that never got his father's approval, you are loved by a perfect father. And when we know that, we don't have to be enslaved to the pain and earthly, our earthly fathers have caused us. We don't have to be that. We are released from carrying the festering wounds of our dysfunction. You know, for some of us in this room, if we're honest, in some ways we've been living out the sin that lived in our father now lives in us through bitterness. And you know, I, I'm not here to say that every earthly relationship's gonna get restored. Some of those relationships are never gonna be fully restored. You can't change the heart of your father, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, man, God can change you. You're not releasing him from something. When, you've, when, you're, when you give this over, you're not releasing him from what he did. You're not releasing him from what he did in your life. You're not releasing him from some, something. You're releasing him to someone. That you're giving him over to God. And here's the truth today. God can turn stories around. Just like he did with Christmas. Think about that. A bleak 400 years of silence broken wide open by a thrill of hope that God can turn stories around and he can turn your story around. He wants you to know today that you are chosen, you are prized, you are seen 
You are loved, you are searched for, and you are bought and purchased by a perfect heavenly father. So in a minute, we're gonna sing this song and I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed. But in a minute, we're gonna sing this song together. And I don't know what this needs to be for you, this moment needs to be for you. There'll be pastors up here on the front rows if you'd like to come talk to one of us. But this is really just more of a moment to worship a perfect father. So if you need to come front and talk to a pastor, feel freedom to do that. We're gonna be right here on the front rows. Or maybe you just need to worship in your seat. Maybe today is the day you need to release, release your earthly father to a perfect holy God. Man, that's where freedom comes. I wanna end with Psalm 68. Verse four and five, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, lift up a song to him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord and he is a father to the fatherless. Heavenly Father, I pray God that in this moment, Lord, we would listen to your spirit, Lord, that our hearts would be awakened in this moment to hear what you wanna say to us, God. And Lord, if we're carrying the baggage of our earthly father, maybe we never got his approval. Maybe we never got his acceptance. Maybe he never seemed to care about anything in our lives. God, you care. You care so much that you chase after us. You care so much that you neglected and forsook your own son so that we would never be forsaken. God, help us to realize that's what Christmas is about, God, that you have come in with your hope into our darkness. Heavenly Father, help us to worship you in this moment. Help us to sing to you, God, and help us to release this to you this morning. In Jesus' name, let's sing together.